Doctors have to be very careful about what they prescribe to their patients. And following evidence-based medicine is what we've learned works. We know that evidence and scientific testing actually does distinguish between the folk tales that are wrong and the things that actually do work. The Rational View is a weekly series hosted by me, Dr. Alan Scott, providing a rational, evidence-based perspective on important societal issues. Produced by Soapbox Media. The world needs evidence-based public policy now more than ever. Making the right decisions should not be partisan politics. Please help spread the rational view by going to patron.podbean.com slash the rational view. Together, we can make a better future. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Rational View. I'm your host, Dr. Al Scott. This episode summarizes my investigations to date on nutrition and health. I've been looking at this for some time now, uh, trying to interview the experts, the scientists behind the headlines, and I'd like to share with you what I've learned and also what I remain skeptical about. And in other podcast news... Uh, the Rational View has just had a major milestone. Uh, we, we broke 100,000 downloads. Thank you for your loyalty and for listening to me and, and sharing this journey. Uh, I appreciate uh, the support that I get from all of my listeners, helping us to get exposure and, and spread the Rational View. If you do like what you're hearing, I would love for you to hit like on your podcast app. Share it with your friends, spread the word, maybe even write a review in your favorite app. So, my journey through healthcare and nutrition. Um, my first interview was uh, Marian Nessel. I was a leading authority on food and nutrition, and uh, that podcast, uh, the audio quality wasn't great, uh, but it was a very good podcast. She was a very... Um, wise person who's who's been around understands the politics of uh, nutrition and has lobbied hard to get um, labeling information on on various um, products and food so um, Marion taught us to minimize consumption of over, overly processed foods her her advice was succinct it was eat food not too much mostly plants. Very memorable message. Now, I've often heard the message to eat whole foods and avoid overly processed foods, but I've always wondered from a scientific sense what it was about processing that made foods unhealthy. Processing covers any number of, of procedures in my mind, right? It's, it's a, it's a catch-all. You can mash your potatoes. That's processing. You can cook food. You, that's processing, uh, packaging, peeling. None of these on their own right is bad for you. So I was a bit skeptical of this whole claim. Is like, is this coming from the um, the naturalistic uh, appeal to nature kind of? If it's natural, it's good, and if it's man made, it's bad. Is is that where this is coming from? So um, Marian Nessel uh, clarified the main problems with ultra processed food are the additives of high sugar, high sodium, and the fact that they're 
designed to be addictive. They're designed to be irresistible. And this results in overeating. And so that's a, a huge calor caloric intake. And of course, obesity is a major problem in our society with diabetes and the health impacts of that. My next interview was uh, Dr. Edzard Ernst, who talked about what he called so-called alternative medicine. His, his acronym, of course, is SCAM, the medicine that doesn't work. And he, um, I asked him about detox diets, and he said most of these are a scam. Our liver does the detox for us if it's working right, and you don't need a special diet for this to happen. His best quote from, from the interview was, if something works, it's medicine. If it doesn't work, it cannot be medicine. You know, many folks think in, in popular parlance think that scientists are closed-minded because they dismiss ideas that have not been studied scientifically. Well, this is not the case. We're not closed-minded because of this. We are using a particular formula to determine uh, to, to make a judgment, right? And our formula is if there is evidence and scientific and statistical evidence that supports it, then we are behind it. If there is not, then it is, the question is open. And if people have studied it and they are unable to find any evidence that it works better than, say, uh, a placebo, then if effect, if attempts to gather evidence for some particular medicine has failed, then it does not deserve to be called medicine. And, you know, people don't like doctors because of this, uh, I think. And I think that doctors have to be very careful about what they prescribe to their patients or what they, uh, you know, to follow evidence-based medicine. Because if you do not, you're you're opening yourself up to being sued um, and following evidence-based medicine is what we've learned works. We know that evidence and scientific testing actually does distinguish between the folk tales that are wrong and the things that actually do work. So it's not that we're closed-minded, right? So that, that's, I think, an important thing to consider. After... Ed Zardernst, I talked to uh, Dr. Peter Butt, who is a teetotaler uh, and the head of the committee that tightened Canada's healthy alcohol guidelines recently. And he told us that all alcohol causes cancer, even in very small amounts. Any bit is dangerous. He, as chair of the committee, um, his committee reviewed data on mortality for various known health issues associated with alcohol. So uh, things that we know alcohol makes worse, he looked at the, the dose versus uh, health impact uh, relationship and found that even small amounts increase risks. Uh, now, a couple episodes later, I revisited this interview um, based on publicized skepticism about these guidelines. There was a lot of questions being asked and there were groups uh, putting forth statements to the effect that, oh, this is uh, biased and uh, they haven't, they haven't uh, looked at the J curve. So the J curve 
is is the data, and there is a lot of data that show that small amounts of alcohol are actually protective for heart disease and decrease mortality. And there seems to be like a a, a, a best amount of alcohol that uh, protects you, both protects you from heart disease, but doesn't really cause cancer. So I spent a lot of time researching this, uh, and the the complaints were brought up by uh, to the media by a group called ISFAR, the International Scientific Forum on Alcohol Research. And the members of this group had many of them accepted money from uh, alcohol companies, and their advice is not respected by the scientists because of this controversial uh, fact that they'd taken money from the alcohol industry. So what do we know? What, what's, what's, the, what's the hypothesis? Why does Dr. Butt and his committee believe that the J-curve is actually bad science? Well, they came up with the sick quitter hypothesis, which was a confounding factor in many of the controlled studies of non-drinkers versus drinkers. And what they're saying is that people that a significant fraction of the population that's not drinking are people that have got sick from drinking, that have got um, some sort of disease associated with alcohol and they're on their last legs. And that's why people that drink a little bit seem to live longer than, than people that don't. It's, it's a fact that there's this confounding factor in the control group effectively. Um, now, a recent looking into this, certainly that does affect the data. And certainly that is a true confounding hypothesis in, in many cases studies. A recent systematic review, however, showed that daily low or moderate alcohol intake was not significantly associated with mortality risk, looking across the board at all causes of mortality. And the message was that there were other things you should worry about more than moderate alcohol intake. I remain skeptical on this particular uh, judgment, I guess, um, that moderate alcohol intake is as damaging as Dr. Butt's committee has claimed. They've yet to publish their assessment in a peer-reviewed journal, although he indicated that this was the plan. So I'm looking forward to seeing this reviewed in the open literature by the peers and to see if his uh, very strict assessment of the guidelines uh, for alcohol are actually supportable from the evidence, as some of the data seems to suggest that it's not necessarily supportable. So between these two alcohol um, episodes, I also interviewed Dr. Tracy Mann of the Healthy Eating Lab. Uh, she's also the author of uh, a recent book called Secrets from the Eating Lab. And she told us that dieting doesn't work to take off weight over the long term. All diets uh, work by caloric restriction in the short term, and they do uh, cut down weight, cut down body weight and mass. Uh, and, you know, for that in the short term, they're good for you. However, uh, her quote was, it is much easier to improve health and maintain healthy eating habits than to lose weight and maintain that. She notes that the body has 
kind of an equilibrium mass that it approaches and, and fighting that is very difficult. The body adapts to different caloric intakes and, and tries to keep a certain amount of fat on your body because that protects you, uh, in cases of, of, you know, lack of food, in cases of famine. Um, and your body, uh, forces you to focus on food. And if you're doing a caloric restriction, uh, it takes extreme amounts of willpower to not revert back to your original weight. And in fact, in, in the vast majority of cases over uh, a year or two, people all revert back and, and sometimes even shoot past their original weight. Um, so that I think is something to keep in mind when looking at, at various fad diets, the better approach is to eat healthy. Eat enough food, enough healthy food to keep you sated. Now, following Dr. Mann's talk, I talked to Dr. Walter Longo, uh, the founder of the Prolong Diet, uh, and he, uh, his work is associated with fasting and the longevity and health advance advantages of intermittent fasting. Now, he highlighted that, that research shows advantages for people who fast for at least 12 hours consecutively every day. Example, uh, you know, 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. Uh, however, people who skip breakfast, say fasting from midnight to noon, uh, on the evidence do not fare as well. So, I challenged him about whether gains from fasting were just due to the caloric restrictions associated with not snacking during this period. And he countered that health-wise, weight is just a minor component compared to the power of aging. And what he, um, what he tells us is that uh, intermittent fasting actually resets some of the body's clocks, some of the, the cellular, um, aging is some of the cellular aging is actually reset when you fast and it's it's kind of like a fountain of youth and and looking at other animal studies rats and mice and and worms you know this sort of thing actually uh significantly can lengthen lifespans so i think this is a, a very uh useful and interesting result. Uh, his prolonged diet is like a five-day fast. He provides uh, food for it, and he claims that he doesn't earn any money from it. He donates the profits uh, to research. So all in all, I think a very interesting interview and worthwhile following up on uh, on that and, and listening. Uh, and then most recently, I interviewed Dr. Joel Furman, who is a very energetic and charismatic proponent of something he calls the Nutritarian Diet. Uh, and he has a, uh, a retreat, uh, in San Francisco, I believe, where he, he, he trains people to eat the Nutritarian Diet. And, and online, uh, there was a lot of criticism regarding this diet that it was overly caloric restrictive and very hard to follow and i guess that's why they have the retreat because you really need to train hard to to stick to it and so and i raised this complaint with him and he said well you know if you don't want to do it you don't have to 
<laughs> so, yeah, okay, good point. So he claimed that uh, his program of eating nutritious foods and cutting back on processed foods could not only reduce cholesterol uh, and heart disease uh, and diabetes, it could actually reverse, uh, in a lot of cases, could reverse the course of autoimmune diseases. Uh, but in his excitement to uh, advocate for this, he made several what I would consider populist claims about the failures of mainstream doctors uh, not wanting to uh, go the extra mile and learn about his diets and listen to to the latest evidence, and which I which I found a little bit disconcerting. Uh, it seemed like a little bit over the top um, advertisement, and you know you don't want to to throw the good doctors under the bus because they are waiting for actual data on some of these things and, and he to to dr Furman's um claims he did say that he does have data on the success of his diet in terms of of treating some things and he's published papers on it so it's not that there is no data out there but maybe it needs to be reproduced by independent labs he made uh all of these claims uh he, he also had uh, a good acronym called G-BOMBS. So he stresses these things. Uh, G-BOMBS stand for uh, greens, beans, onions, mushrooms, berries, and seeds as the basis for this nutritarian diet and uh, with supposed health benefits associated with, with these particular foods. And uh, he rattled off a, a very tasty sounding list of, of vegetarian uh, recipes and ingredients and sauces that, you know, even with uh, a very calorie restrictive diet sounded very, very yummy. And so that's where I'm at right now on my investigation of nutrition and health. Uh, I'm still waiting an episode on the gut microbiome and health, which I think is important uh, to learn about how the microbial flora and fauna in our digestive tract affect our health and our and our brain. There's actually a really strong connection between the microbiome in our gut and and how we feel and how we live in our health. And so I'm really looking forward. I've, I've got an interview lined up, but it's not for for a few weeks yet with uh, an authority, Dr. Jack Gilbert. So stay tuned for that. Uh, I think you're really going to like it. So what are my take-home messages from all of this investigation? Uh, and thank you for, for sticking with me this far into the podcast. Personally, I have actually changed my eating habits based on, on this research. I'm, I'm trying to eat healthier, uh, avoiding some of the late-night snacks and processed chips that I love, uh, because uh, I do see the impacts of that on my weight, and I want to avoid the impacts of that extra weight on my health. I, I'm also trying to get a solid 12 hours of fasting every day, uh, following Dr. Longo's advice, and you know, moderating alcohol intake. Uh, that's something that, that I have been doing for some time. Um, definitely a useful uh, piece of advice. Uh, also trying to eat more G-bombs and not dieting. So if you stuck with me this long, thank you for listening. Uh, I appreciate your support and I hope you've also learned something. Stay tuned for more. 
If you'd like to follow up with more in-depth discussions, please come find us on Facebook at The Rational View and join our discussion group. If you like what you're hearing, please consider visiting my Patreon page at patron.podbean.com slash The Rational View. Thanks for listening.